What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnson, Ja Rass, of course. We've got Jays we got him for days. Josh, how you doing? Well, I was going to ask you about Kevin Durant joining the Memphis Grizzlies, but it appears in the last few hours that is not going to happen as I guess the Nets are going to run it back. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, like as long as Kyrie Irving is an important part of the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets aren't going to go anywhere because you just can't. And there's, you know, Ben Simmons to factor into that. Right, not to mention that you have three superstars on your team in theory. But at the end of the day, do you really have like more than a superstar and a half? I don't think the answer. I I think that's a fair thing to ask. But yes. I was first for it was a mixed like seven seconds of emotion because it went from it went from I thought the because right I woke up you know overnight working so all of this had happened when I woke up I I consumed all of this in the same seven seconds the Reports that Memphis is interesting, interested. Then the follow-up report that Memphis was not willing to part ways with Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. And then the and then consumed the Kevin Durant's coming back to Brooklyn. So it, a, a quick a, a quick uh, host of emotions that started with man. I thought the Grizzlies got it more than this. This idea of like not of playing the slow game with guys that you know are franchise corner pieces i.e the bucks um you know the warriors doing it through the draft and they just won a title last year right the bucks and the warriors are the last two title winners and neither of them went out and paid for their superstar on in that specific iteration of their team and then it was like, okay, so they do kind of get it. They might be willing to part ways with some draft capital, which is a little different and not something I always completely agree with. But when if you have a chance to get Kevin Durant and all they want is all your draft picks, then I guess there's probably some legitimacy to that. Um, and then it was, oh, okay, he's just coming back. Yeah. And I, I will never truly believe that Memphis is actually a place that Kevin Durant is going to end up until – it actually happens and he's actually on the roster. Yeah, I was I was interested in the trade package part of it, which now this is all irrelevant because there's not going to be a trade that happens unless something even more bizarre occurs between now right. and the start of the regular season. Right. But right, this idea of the Grizzlies were gonna try and pull this off without giving out the the pieces that the Nets would want back. Mm-hmm. Which it seems like is part of the problem here is that nobody would actually give... I mean, the Celtics were offering some pieces, mm-hmm. but nobody was giving the Nets what they actually wanted. And the Nets were asking for way more than anybody was willing to pay, right. which puts you in this weird... So that was what I wanted to talk about was kind of the idea of, can you really get Kevin Durant for all these draft picks with nothing else really appealing? And it appears the answer is No. You don't exactly... I, I'm with you, though, that I don't blame the Grizzlies for not tearing everything down just to add a 34-year-old Kevin Durant. Right. And and this all this all stems from the fact that, like, if Rudy Gobert is going to go for all of those draft picks, <laughs> right. then Kevin Durant's going to go for all of those draft picks, and then there's got to be something else because right. Kevin Durant's 
one of the best scoring forwards ever and a top, you know, 16 player of all time, and Rudy Gobert is not. It's the, the, the substitute equation to where right. you put the Gobert into the Kevin Durant equation and all of a sudden you get a wacky number. Right, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not stunned that this is where we ended up, that the Nets and Kevin Durant sat down like adults and were like, listen, this is clearly not going to happen because of what happened. I will say it's impressive that they absolutely, completely... 100% froze the NBA trade market for yeah. three months. Like, <laughs> yep. compl- everyone's just kind of standing there pointing at the Spider-Man gives. Like, right, everyone right, kind of right. pointing at each other like, okay, what are, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? What are they going to do? And none of it really mattered unless we figured out what was going to happen with Kevin Durant. And nobody actually came close to getting a deal. Right. <laughs> it was just there. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. Maybe it was just a ploy to make sure nobody else got any better. Yeah. Not I highly, do- I highly doubt that the Brooklyn Nets front office is okay. is, chess, operating, is operating yet. They're definitely playing checkers. They're definitely <laughs> not playing chess. Um, that's what happens when you decide to go all in on Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons on the same team. I just refuse to believe you're playing chess in any way, shape, or form. Um, but nonetheless, we'll see. Once again, on paper, you've got three. You mean you know, you've got a defensive player of the year caliber guy. One of the five most, you know, technically talented NBA players we've ever seen, regardless of how you feel about Kyrie Irving. And perhaps the greatest scorer in NBA And then perhaps the greatest scorer <laughs> in NBA history, and they're just talked about as more of a joke than a title contender, which is a fascinating place to be in that only the NBA in 2022 can create. That's oh, yes. the, only, the only place that it can be created. But nonetheless, here we are. Um, thank you for joining us. Jays for Days podcast, uh, middle of our summer re- summer rewind series. That is a underrated tongue twister. <laughs> summer rewind, rewind series with the R and R back to back. It's it's underrated. I swear to you. Um, last week we did coaches. Well, I guess it was two weeks ago now. Sorry for the unplanned hiatus. Um, but when you spend lots of time at the car dealership. They sometimes those things and you're kind of stranded there. Sometimes these things happen. Um, of course, I sat there forever and didn't actually get my car fixed because they didn't have the part for me. So I have to go back on Friday and uh, and do it again. I'm but, sorry to hear that. But that's OK. They told me it would only be an hour. They have the piece now. It's all going to be grand and spectacular. Um, but um, so we're back. And this week we're doing transfers, uh, sort of taking a look at at the summer that was in a hectic and sort of normal at this point uh, transfer window uh, in the summer uh, since the end of the college basketball season. We've got three categories. Um, I will not lie to you; I've got more than nine players because I cheated <laughs> with one of my one of my uh, spots in one of my categories. But of we've course. got but we've got a top three kind of... Uh, I don't know if you put yours in order. I just sort of have three of no, them. No, yeah, mine are just... I put my most important in an order. Okay. But other than that, yeah, no, I just have three for each category. Uh, most excited. Transfers and new spots that we're most excited about. Uh, most important players uh, that are playing for a new team this year. And then biggest question marks. Uh, whether that be, I don't know how you define question mark, um, but this idea of is this really going to go the way that people seem to think that it's going to go um, and put as many transfers into conversation as we possibly can um, to try and at least paint somewhat of a picture that was the, the 2022 transfer window since it's gotten to the point where it's just 
insurmountable in one podcast, but we'll we'll knock out a big chunk of it and hopefully the most important parts. I'd like to officially submit a proposal to start calling this to transfer window. I'm a big fan. Why is it not called the transfer window? I guess because you can technically like transfer it anytime. I guess like right. I guess you could just go ahead and transfer it. Like nobody then, does it that then way. You really. call, you, then you do what soccer does, and you call it the winter transfer window and the summer transfer window. I just kind of I didn't even really compute that it wasn't called that. It just <laughs> makes sense to call it. Yeah, that. I love it. And I guess you could it's also just call it the off season. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's how we're referring. I, to I didn't. E- I didn't even compute that it's not. That's not what it's called. It just sounds right, as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's it's right for us now. It is right for us. Um, on on a uh, on a podcast that is absolutely motivated. I mean, excuse me, impacted by um, by soccer. Um, uh, I think it's only fair. I think it's only right. Um, are you ready to talk about transfers? Absolutely. You know, you guys like my phone. My phone notes here. Um, we're using all the other screens for various things. So, and I can't let him know exactly what's on my page, and he'd be able to see it. So, here we are with the phone. Um, most excited transfer. Um, I peaked. I see that we have one of the same. So, um, but I'll let you start where you want to. All right. Well, I'm gonna start with somebody different. I think then. Okay. If you're gonna be that way, you're more than welcome to. This honestly is probably the one I am most excited about, and that is Isaac Likely at Ohio State. Okay. Ohio State basically lost its entire backcourt in a very real way, as in these players just do not exist on the roster anymore. Mm-hmm. And Isaac likely was 11, 5.5, and, and 4.5 and the season before Kay Cunningham got to Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. That was part of what made that Oklahoma State team so good on paper, and then they ended up being really good, mm-hmm. was this idea of... There are already some building blocks, and Isaac Wakely was the premier one of those that Kay Cunningham was walking into. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in a Ben Simmons situation where he didn't have any help. Sure. Now, the numbers dropped with Cunningham, which is expected, and then Isaac Wakely just could not shoot the basketball to save his life last season. There were also a lot of other things going on within the Oklahoma State program. I'm willing to give him a pass on that. But for an Ohio State team that is still good on paper, but has nothing in the backcourt. To bring in somebody with this much experience and with this much of a solid resume at the high major level, proving he can get you double-digit points and be the primary facilitator of your offense is a huge, huge deal. So I'm really excited to see him back in a situation where he's going to be playing for a good team and he has an incredible amount of responsibility just because of the the nature of Ohio State's roster and kind of where they lost their pieces from last season. Yeah, I think that we kind of forget about Isaac Likely, likely the highly productive college basketball player. To know, I mean, I guess to, I mean, he didn't have a great season last season, yeah. but the whole Cade County, the whole best freshman in the country coming to play for your team, that's just kind right. of a step aside that you have to come to terms with. And then you're on a transfer. Uh, now I'm just going on train everything's a transfer. Now you're on a tournament ban the year after. Right. So nobody was paying attention anyway. Right. Right. So it's been two seasons in a row that he's kind of been out of the spotlight. I will be interested to see if that trend like just how right, because in theory, right, another another high major team in one of the best conferences in the sport. So in theory the 
there are some apples to apples things there. I've just, just of course, right. New coach and Chris Holtman, um, different place, whether or not it's right. More responsibility. Absolutely. In a different place. Does it transfer me? Do we feel like it's, do we feel like it's closer to how much closer do we get to that 2019 version of him? 2019, right? Yeah. And can he shoot? <laughs> and can he shoot? That's helpful. <laughs> because that was a real problem last season. Uh, first on my list, well, first on my list is the guy we both have, but um, not necessarily my most excited, but the guy I have on my list first. But where I'll go first is uh, Fardos Amac to Texas Tech. Do you know his nickname? I don't. The Big Maple. I love it. I'm a huge fan of the Big. I was watching. I, I was watching a, a couple highlights of his this morning, and the broadcast guy just said, oh, "And they gave it to the Big Maple down low." <laughs> I was like, "They gave it to the who now? <laughs> Come again?" To the Big Maple down low, and I was I was already kind of kind of thinking this guy was going to go in, and then he called him Big Maple. I was like, "I can't <laughs> not deal. I can't not put Big Maple in." Um, Big Maple, as we'll refer to him as Fardos Amac. I thought it was Amik. Life hack, by the way. Going to YouTube to find highlights to get the pronunciation yep. of the guy's name. <laughs> Top tier life hack. Even though, I think as we both know, the announcer doesn't always have it right. <laughs> but I'm hoping that the guy calling the Utah Valley State games um, has gotten it right. Um, but So I'm assuming that it's Amac. Um, but the Big Maple is way more fun. Uh, the Big Maple averaged basically 19 and 14 last year. Um, two-time WAC Defensive Player of the Year. And he's going to Texas Tech. Who finished first at Kim Palm last year in defense. Um, going to play for a guy like Mark Adams, is it just makes perfect sense. It's the He was third in defensive rating individually last year in the country. Going to a team that is that has reloaded in a very substantial way in general through the transfer market and it's just a very different team with the guys that they lost um but with that being said right inside the big 10 inside the big 12 and outside of the big 12 but the way that they've replenished the roster this guy um and texas tech was a sub 250 uh three-point shooting team last year he also shot like 40 percent and like the 53s he took last year so a guy that can step out and make a shot from beyond the arc uh but just in general a guy named the big maple who's a former two-time defensive player of the year in his conference getting to play at texas tech um i'm locked in completely locked in. and texas tech always has that interior presence right? right maybe not the greatest offensive player in the world you're not running the offense through them no whether it was Tariq Owens or Marco Santos Silva, you know, you can go down the list of mm-hmm. there's always that guy, some more effective than others, but absolutely, you put the big maple in there, you're on to something. And for me, Texas Tech has the most, I guess, really the most interesting transfer window of any team in the country. Like you said, based on what they lost, but also what they brought in. I'm just not convinced it's as much of a net negative as people seem to think it is because they lost Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCullough. Mm-hmm. There is an awful lot of talent coming into that program, too. Now, they got to put it all together. It's a completely new roster. But I am with you that I'm really excited to see what Texas Tech can do. And we'll get more into this when we get to our Big 12 preview. But mm-hmm. they are one of the most interesting teams in the country because of what I think they can be and the fact that I feel like people are 
freaking out a little bit because they lost two key pieces while not paying enough attention to everybody they brought in and the fact that this is still Mark Adams. It's much more fun to write headlines about who teams got than who teams lost. Um, or sorry, it's more, sorry, other way around. Yeah. Way more fun to talk about, especially when the names are Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCuller, to talk about what teams lost rather than what teams are, are bringing in. Especially, I mean, with all due respect, why you're not putting the big maple in every headline you possibly can? Beyond me. I, mean, I guess, I guess SEO. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> And it's not, it's not like Texas Tech was playing with those two guys every game. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of the success has come with the collective because... There were so many guys in and out of the lineup. I'm, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm higher on Texas Tech than most people, but we'll say more of that. I'm, for our... I'm massively high on the Big Maple, massively high. I would expect and only sixty-two percent of it is because his nickname <laughs> is the Big Maple, but, um, but he's on my list here as as three of my most exciting, and I will I will con- willingly concede that the nickname the the nickname does not hurt. Um, do you want to talk about Memphis? Sure, we can go there next. That's Do you your want third to get, one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then I have a big group of players. Oh, okay. So that's okay. why. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk We'll talk about Kendrick Davis next yeah. then. Uh, Kendrick Davis, Memphis. Has to be on this list. Has to be on this list. AAC Player of the Year. I know why I'm excited. I'd like to be. I'd like to you, for you to tell me why you are. A, it's... One of the most underrated players in the country going into a new situation, and it's an interesting situation because it's Penny Hardaway and it's Memphis, mm-hmm. and he's staying in the conference, which like you said, he's already a two-time first-team selection and the reigning conference player of the year in a conference with Houston. I kept talking about that last year, that the best player in that conference did not play on Houston. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of this for me is, do you know how many freshmen Memphis have on their roster? At least one I checked a couple weeks ago. <laughs> a lot? I don't know. Zero. I didn't know. No, it was it was either a lot or none because of how many players they're bringing in. Yeah. This is not Memphis teams of past. Mm-hmm. So the idea of putting Kendrick Davis, and this is ultimately where the excitement comes from for me to answer your question, is the idea of putting Kendrick Davis. As a primary ball handle on a team that could use one, with all of these guys coming back, because that is an incredibly talented team still. I know it hasn't clicked, and there have been some good moments and some bad moments, and they've just been Memphis, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to keep it as simple as possible. But adding him to that group with so many players returning and so much college basketball experience, this is something we haven't seen, and I am really looking forward to figuring out if it works and how Penny handles this. What on top of that, you know, I've Kendrick Davis is the type of offensive player that Memphis hasn't had since mm-hmm. Penny Hardaway got there. That's also a good point. Yep, it's been a lot of long, athletic guys. Long, athletic guys who can't create their own shot. Right. right. And Kendrick Davis, if nothing else, is very good at creating his own shot. Because where Memphis ran in, like. It was painful watching Memphis yep. play, especially late game offense sometimes right. in the last couple of years. And it got a little better last year. And they, they have guys who do a, a lot of little things well. And they have guys that they'll get excited about because in the, like they're really solid college basketball players. But when you need a bucket, it's like Tyler Harris is taking a contested 35-footer. 
and you're hoping it goes in and you're kind of okay with it because three minutes ago he banked one in that happened a lot and but really like with all due respect to Tyler Harris it's like a five nine guard taking a contested three-point yeah. jumper and sometimes that was the best look Memphis could get late in games if nothing else, you hand the ball to Kendrick Davis, and that's he's always going to get a better shot than yeah. that shot. You haven't had the isolation. You've had a lot of guys who are comfortable playing in isolation. Right. You haven't had an effective isolation scorer right. that gives you that base to then build the rest of your offense around. And because Kendrick Davis is so multidimensional, it also makes everybody else's lives easier simply because he exists. Right. Which it is was, a major problem when you don't have that guy who is the, the go-to player offensively right they've had you know the the elite talent that they've had has been the precious Chuas and dale and jalen durans of the world uber athletic bigs that just don't do a ton for you in terms of in terms of offensive creation and amani bates was supposed to be that wasn't exactly that like even you know james wiseman in his very limited time there wasn't wasn't that either no it just and isn't it's never the, who he was no so it's just not the the prospect that right. has made its way to Memphis. And now not only are you getting that guy, you're getting that guy in a in a seasoned college basketball veteran version, not a not a freshman, which makes it which makes it even more exciting. Who's last on your on your I'm the most excited for list? Bryce Hopkins at Providence. Okay. Played six and a half minutes a game at Kentucky, played in twenty eight total games. So, of course, you know the talent is there because this is a good athlete from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And Kentucky recruited him. Therefore, there's all kinds of potential. Mm -hmm. And he just was one of those guys who got stuck behind this conglomeration of incredibly talented freshmen and all of these transfers and the other five-star freshmen who then stayed Right, that has really just completely changed the way Cal goes about building his roster. Mm -hmm. There were some casualties in that, and Bryce Hopkins was one of them. But just looking at this Providence roster, A, they lost a lot, so there's going to be plenty of opportunities. But B, it is Ed Crosswell and a bunch of 6'3 guards, and that is Ed Cooley's team. Mm -hmm. Bryce Hopkins is the one guy who fits in between those two things who you feel good about. So it's going to be a lot of three pretty tall guards, but not, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guys, Bryce Hopkins and Crossball, I would have to think for most of the minutes out there. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, he has so much room to play with because nobody else is going to offer what he brings to this team. You have a very good big, you have all kinds of talent at the guard position, but then there's nothing in between the two. Mm -hmm. It is Bryce Hopkins. So I expect him to have a really, really big season, and I just think it's the table is set for him to showcase everything he's got because there is nobody else who does what he does for that team. Sure. I also think that him having Kentucky stapled across his chest is really helpful. Oh, absolutely. I He's got he's got to prove it and actually show he can be a reliable contributor on a good team. But there's not exactly anybody standing in his way. Right. And it's not like he has to do everything, right? This is mm -hmm. still a good team that are a lot of new pieces, mm -hmm. but there's just a I see a role for him that Right, nobody else is going to be taking because they don't have another player like him. Right, this is the absolutely absolutely fair. I am, uh, I am, I'm curious as to 
you, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, like getting excited about somebody because of their potential. And just nationally, Bryce Hopkins has some, while well, he was recruited by Kentucky, he's uber athletic. He's, he's kind of the transfer portal version of the NBA prospect that I hate people get really excited about, <laughs> sure. which is, which is fine. And being in college and being uber athletic and having a spot carved out for you is certainly a different thing than just people being excited about you in the NBA because you're athletic. Because everybody in the NBA is athletic, um, and it takes a really, really special athlete to actually be a difference maker in the NBA just because of how athletic you are. Um, but I, I, I can't. I have a hard time arguing the points that you've laid out, and I also think it would be short-sighted to write off Bryce Hopkins after his six and a half minutes a game at Kentucky. So there's also that side of the coin. I just look at the situation in Kentucky being different now mm-hmm. from my perspective of sometimes this just happens because sure. you don't expect the play, national player of the year to come back and then you got the five-star freshman still coming. You know, it's, right. All of a sudden it just gets real crowded real quick. So yeah, I'm not willing to write him off quite yet. Sure. And it's, you know, if you've got a bunch of five-star guys, somebody is not going to have the season right. that you expect a five-star guy to have, and maybe he'll have it elsewhere. Are you ready for my unexpected, excited group of players? I'm, I'm absolutely stunned that this is on my list. Are you ready for this? I am. Are you ready for me to tell you who could be Georgetown's starting five this year? It Hypothetically, theoretically, based on what they brought in the transfer portal. Are you ready? Yeah. So this team went 6-25 and 25 last year, Okay. <laughs> And where I'm going to start is that somehow they convinced Kudiswaha uh, to come back to Georgetown. He was like, never mind, the grass is greener in the 6-25 and 25 program. Now, granted, I'm sure he realized that his best chance at playing in the NBA is probably to come and be the best player at Georgetown, so that's probably part of it. But either way, they got a guy who had a weird and not great year at Maryland, Come back to Georgetown. So it starts there. And then we add a big from Connecticut, an ACOC, ACOC. ACOC, ACOC, ACOC. Yes, I think that's right. Is it, is it the same pronunciation yes. twice? Yes. I apologize if that's wrong, but we're just talking about. Uh, so in theory, that's your front court. It's a very good front court. And then in the front court, where he had Primo Spears, who led Duquesne in scoring last year as a freshman. Do you know what he finished? His, the, the points he scored in those last three games last year? going to say it's at least 80. He scored a combined... He scored a combined 89 points in his last three games. 25-30-34. Or 25-34-30. Anyways, a, a high... I don't know if he figured something out or he was just like, you know what, I want to transfer. I'm going to shoot as many times as possible. But either way, he got he found a way to score 90 points in three games. And that in and of itself is an impressive feat for anybody Absolutely. at the college basketball sure. level. Um, and then you add Jay Heath, who is a double-digit scorer at two different Power 5 schools, Boston College and Arizona Big State. Big fan of that guy. Does not get the credit he deserves. And then Georgetown was one of the main benefactors of the explosion that was LSU. Yep. And so you add on the wing Brandon Murray from LSU, who was a double-digit starter, double-digit scoring starter One as a freshman. One of the best transfers in the country because of the eligibility he has left and what he showed. Correct. 100%. And then, you know, guys that are interesting that I, you know, I'm not going to act like I'm super excited about, but guys like Bryson Mozone from USD Upstate, 16 points a game, kind of his breakout mid-major year last year. 
I was talking to our buddy Lucas Harkins about this because he, you know, I was trying to get him to guess who my like unexpected, excited group of transfers is super intrigued by this is and he was like he gave me like but he gave me mizzou he gave me st john's and i was like the johnnies we'll talk about andre cabello <laughs> later on this podcast but he was like are you really that excited that team's gonna be horrible i was like and he was like that team's not gonna be great and the big east is gonna be like eight teams deep in terms of ncaa tournament quality teams they're just gonna get ran over all year i was like you know what you're probably right but i can't say that you're f- for certain right yeah. and we've been pretty positive that Georgetown's going to suck for the past several years. And it's right, it's not quite the same as like your Texas last year where you're not you have no idea how that's actually going to look. You just know that they brought like 100 points, right. 40 rebounds and 30 assists you in have terms no, of transfer. You have production. no concerns about the players you brought in. Right. It's just whether they can fit together. So so yeah. so I guess the way I'll describe it is I would be I would consider all five of those players that I just named coming to my program and that a positive, if they were just coming, you know, if I, if they were coming to Butler, all five of those guys would be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's that, that's a net positive. And of course we're talking, you know, with Acock, with Wahab, with Brandon Murray, those are absolutely. And then you've got those mid-major guys. It's like, okay, that's pretty interesting. The highly, you know, productive guy uh, at the mid-major level, at least that is intriguing. And they're all going to the same place. Now, it could end up that it only looks like, you know, instead of 6 and 25, they're 9 and 22 and it's not that it's not really that different. I would actually bet on it not being that different. I'm just intrigued. And if you told me, if you told any Georgetown fan at the end of last season <laughs> this that, that, that this is up, going yeah. to be your starting lineup, Curtis Wahab is going to be back and there's going to be at least something to be kind of excited about and that like if we look up in 3 weeks, 3 weeks into the season and Georgetown in a less than enticing non-conference schedule is like eight and one, and it's like, hmm, those are that's an interesting basketball team. I wouldn't be stunned by that. Um, I'm, I'm. This is my most intriguing college basketball team this year. Um, like it is, it. Um, and maybe we'll get to December first, and I'll be like, I'm out. It's no longer <laughs> intriguing. They're just, they're just bad. Um, and you know, maybe Acock has more injuries, and somebody else gets injured, and. You know, Patrick Ewing is still the coach of your basketball team and all of these things that could end up it not being that excited of a, of a season. Um, but nonetheless, right now on August 23rd at 2.05 in the afternoon, it's intriguing. I almost put Brandon Murray on this list. Mm-hmm. I'm big believer in him and the potential he has as the go-to guy mm-hmm. at a storied, high-profile program. Yes, I know they've been terrible recently, but it's still Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Ewing is still your coach. Yeah. I just, I'm not quite there in terms of the excitement level that you're evidently at with this group. But he was one of my honorable mentioned guys in considerations mm-hmm. for this category because there is a lot to like there. And especially taking it from the perspective of looking at it at the end of last season and saying, how would you feel if this is what you're walking into the next season with? Absolutely, you take it 100 times out of 100. I, and shouts to, I can't remember, I think it might have been the busting brackets on fan side, but I was trying to find places that just gave me as many, as many transfers as possible in one spot. And one of their articles was one of the places that I 
was able to really find a bunch. And so I wasn't even really looking for this. And Brandon Murray was kind of on my radar. But to your point, I wasn't all that. Like, I'm not really excited. You know, I'm not nearly excited enough about any one player. It's just the, this is a, this is a team that's going to put out a starting line of complete transfers. Mm-hmm. And that's, um that's, that would probably fall into more intriguing than excited. But the two are are conceptually close in my head. So, yeah, and we um, don't have an intriguing category to correct. put them under. So, so. Um, Georgetown rounds out my list. On to most important? On to most important. Uh, I'll let you start wherever you want to. I'm just going to echo what Lucas said when he joined us. For me, the top of this list, this is the one I do kind of have ordered, is Pete Nance. Yeah, he's on my list as well. Just over 14 and a half points a game, 45% from three on three attempts a game. He is... Brady Manick, mm-hmm. but maybe better defensively. I do want to show respect to how good Brady Manick was on defense at times during the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. I know Brady Manick is not a terrific defender, but there were moments he was really good. Pete Nance has to prove he can do that, but mm-hmm. there's a world in which Pete Nance is a much better defender from day one to North Carolina's final game of the season than Brady Manick. And that offense is built where you have to have that guy. Mm-hmm. This, right, this is no longer your two low-post bigs that Roy Williams ran out there year after year after year. This is one traditional big, a stretch four, and your perimeter guys. Yep. And they need to be able to play fast. The guards need to be able to get downhill. And all that is predicated on having a stretch four who can shoot the ball. Having some space. Yeah. Right. P-Nans can really shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. And... When you're looking at, okay, so everybody's all excited about this team. Well, what is the one piece that really worked they don't have? That was Brady Manick. So you just went and found perhaps the closest thing in college basketball to Brady Manick and convinced him to join your program. So in terms of importance and making a difference at the end of the season and how we view these teams, he's got a, a chance in my mind to be head and shoulders above everybody else because of what he offers this team and what this team can be now that it's basically the exact same group from last season this is why this pete nance is why ucla from last year and unc this year are different that's why i've decided because unc this year and us ucla last year without pete nance in my head are the exact same situation and who did ucla lose though no that's well that's my point is that there's no reason to suggest that they're actually Fair. My point being is that if people that I didn't understand why P why it was so why UNC was so unanimously a top three team in the way that UCLA wasn't prior to Pete Nance joining the program. Okay. Oh. Okay. Okay. I got you. So you're saying they should have been treated the same way UCLA Correct. was when some people if like not, me were very skeptical. If not, if not more skeptical. Right. Okay, I, I'm following Because yeah, yeah, the second yeah. best player on that team for most of that year left. Right, right. And it was still, oh yeah, they'll be fine. Right. Look at what they're going to do when they get another... I okay, mean, did I, we I see... We, we did see UNC's run almost come to an end when Brady Manick was yep. ejected. Yep. It took one half for them to blow a 30-point lead. Yep. And it just didn't seem to matter that Brady Manick wasn't there anymore. Now it really doesn't matter that Brady Manick's not there because Pete Nance is. I'm following you. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're right. UCLA didn't lose anybody in the way that UNC lost Brady Manick, but they were being, but UNC was still being treated as a more sure bet to be a top three program right. than, than UCLA, UCLA was. was. Right. Okay, that's the part I was missing. Yes. Because my argument was 
it is incredibly similar in the sense that they are bringing back essentially the exact same team. Your point is correct. They're being treated differently, though. Right. That part doesn't add up. I, right. I agree with that. And yeah. now Pete Nance turns UNC into a bona fide, indisputable top three team next year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it just he just needs to, he needs to be good. Like it need he needs to not fall on his face. Not that I expect him to, yeah. but then it's then like to put it incredibly bluntly, it's a traditional big and and high volume, low efficiency guards. Yep. That doesn't exactly scream successful twenty twenty two basketball team. Right. Now, if you get the RJ Davis that you got in the tournament and Caleb Love you know, takes another small step forward and Pete Nance is good and Armando Baycott's the best big in the country or one of them, you know, him and Drew Temme up there together is probably, oh, and then Oscar Tishibwe, you know, Oscar Chibwe. Man, one of those three guys is not going to be a first-team All-American. That is wild. <laughs> they right? might just have to do that. I mean, don't forget about Hunter Dickinson, too. And then Hunter Dickinson. It's like, another, and Trace Jackson Davis. There's your first-team All-Americans. Five centers. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't have a, a massive problem with that if the circumstances were, were you know, played out correctly. Anyways, but then you add the stretch for things. Everything just gets easier. Armando Baycott has more space um, to operate on the post, um, and doubling him is a much more complicated proposition than it would be if there was no stretch for. Yep. Um, it's it just makes it just makes a ton of sense and makes things much easier from a roster perspective and a game planning perspective. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And imagine what this is my my other point. Imagine what Pete Nance can do when Pete Nance doesn't have to be the focal point of every mm. offensive possession. Mm. Right? Brady Manick was never that player at Oklahoma. He right. was a good player. But all of a sudden, when you're dealing with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, Brady Manick got an awful lot of good looks from three. Mm-hmm. And he just kept hitting them because he's a good three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. Pete Nance can have the same thing where you already like Manick. He's a proven scorer at the high major level in a, you know, one of the top six conferences in the country. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not going to average 18 points a game because his team doesn't need him to. But he could be even more efficient and just more annoying to deal with because you're just going, well, why do... Brady Manic, he's open again. He's hit three threes in the last four possessions. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're dealing with Baycott and you're dealing with Caleb Love and you're dealing with R.J. Davis. Yeah. Right? You, it becomes, like you were saying, it becomes very difficult to deal with all of these guys and guard them all effectively mm-hmm. because they all do different things that complement each other. Right. So shouts to Pete Nance. Um, next on my list, Man Bates. Same. At Butler. Um, let's, play, let's play a trivia game real quick. Um, Butler was... Ranked where in two point field goal defense last year? <laughs> I'll say 183rd. 254th. Oh, okay. Um, I was too optimistic. Um, they were ranked what in block percentage? 242nd. 311th. They were what in defensive efficiency at Kempom? 207. 95th. Ah. It's helpful that they play in the Big East. Um, <laughs> But because it's just really hard for a power conference team to be sub one hundred in both efficiencies, um, and they weren't. Butler got terrible. really Butler got really close. Yeah. They were a sub one. Hold on, I think the, my page is still up here. Um, they were a sub one eighty Kempom offense and a sub one and a sub one hundred and almost a sub one hundred defense. Yeah. So they got really close to both, um, but. Manny Bates, if he's healthy, alleviates all of those problems. And 
Right, he's an elite shot blocker. Like, not just a rim protector, he's an elite shot blocker. Five per 40 minutes. Right, an, an unbelievable amount. And, of course, the, the, there's the question mark of, right, Manny Bates last year at NC State. Well, there wasn't one because he injured his shoulder, like, I believe it was like, the first game like, of the season. Yeah, like 45 seconds. Yeah. It was like it was some Gordon Hayward breaking his leg on the first possession yep. of the game in what was that 2017? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was 2017. Um, type like brevity to yeah. his to his season. Um, so there's that question mark, of course. That would he does he, is he healthy? But Butler, I think it just frees up everybody else on a team defensively. If they know they can be aggressive, because if they get beat, like, yeah, that's tough. But it also means that if all else fails, the guy who's going to the basket is going to be challenged by a 6'11 Manny Bates, who is a really tremendous shot blocker. That level, of, that blanket security is just so nice to have. And the versatility of what you can do on the perimeter, whether it's always switch, whether it's not, it, it is just, it is much easier to to just kind of think outside the box defensively when the guy who's kind of anchoring your defense is in a 6-9 break senzi or you know like even tyler weidman tyler weidman i think we both agreed played much bigger than the 6-9 that he was but it just makes defense in the same way that having a stretch four makes offense that much easier having a guy at the rim that can make sure that every layup is earned and every shot within you know four feet of the basket, six feet of the basket is contested. Just makes life life that much easier. The only thing I'll add, I echo all of that. That's why he was on my list too. Is the conversation surrounding Manny Bates last season was potential to be one of the more important players in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best, right? He's not a eighteen point a game scorer. But there was hype surrounding him last season as sort of, why can he take that next step and become mm-hmm. one of the best players in the ACC? Obviously, that didn't happen because of the unfortunate injury. So we're talking about two off-seasons of development here that have not been put on display yet. And people were excited about him before either of those. Mm-hmm. So this is not just getting somebody who produced at NC State. Also, again, assuming he's healthy and fully recovered from this injury and stays healthy... In theory, you're going to get something much better than what we saw at NC State, mm-hmm. which is exciting to think about if you're a Butler fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very excited. You know, just the idea of a long, lanky guy roaming Hinkle Fieldhouse, like on the court, it's just not, it's just not a visual I have in my head yep. because you and I have been following Butler basketball extremely closely for, geez, we're going on year six now. At year five, year six, that is ridiculous. Six. We're so freaking old. Um, if not year seven, I think yeah, I senior, year, seven. senior year of high school, I was to yeah, the oh, point absolutely. where I was pretty locked oh, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is the first time we've had a guy like this to, to talk about, um, at least in a very tangible production kind of way. There have been other big guys come through, but Joey Brunk, I think we can agree, was not exactly coming as a rim-protecting no. shot blocker. No, no. Um, shouts to Joey Brown, but that's not what he was coming to Butler to be. Um, so that is the next guy on my list. Maybe we venture off for our third ones, but I don't know who's who's third on your list. Baylor Shireman. Okay, we have different guys. Good. All right, now it's trivia time for you. Okay. What did Creighton rank in three pointers attempted per game last season? 
it had it had to have been super bad because I I know they were like a sub 300 three point shooting team or like sub 250. It was bad. It was not it was not a Creighton team of old in terms right. of three point. Oh, so this this is made threes first. Oh, made threes. Sorry. I got out of oh, order. Oh, then super low. 255th. Like, like, okay, yeah. Now attempts per game. Even lower, 280. 168. Oh, okay. And three point percentage. That one's really bad. That was like that one's like three hundred. Three hundred ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did everything else except shoot the ball really well. Mm-hmm. So now you bring in a guy to basically do the same thing Pete Nance is going to do at North Carolina to just shoot the lights out again. He doesn't have to be the top guy on the scouting report. He can just mm-hmm. stand there and shoot because mm-hmm. you got to deal with all of his teammates who are really good mm-hmm. and are. Some of them, at least, are fine shooters. Mm-hmm. That'll be one of the big questions. Do they have enough shooting outside of Baylor Shireman? But, and I think Lucas mentioned this a little bit while we were talking with him, too. Just the idea of guys who change the equation for a team. Right. That's what I was really looking at here. And it's it's similar to Pete Nance, but also there's some Manny Bates in there in the sense of he gives you something you didn't have as opposed to replacing the thing you need. But he operates, obviously, mm-hmm. in a very Pete Nance space. He doesn't have to be spectacular. All he has to do is stand there and shoot the ball. Yeah. And Creighton is going to be really difficult. And you already know what they've got built defensively with this foundation. I'm really high on Creighton, and that was the missing piece. And then you add on top of that that Greg McDermott's just a really, really yep. good coach. Imagine what he can do with this. Right, right. Yeah. That's and that's the last thing I'll add is that I think I think in certainly in the mid 2010s. Into kind of the back half of the decade, there was a little bit of how how good is McDermott? You know, we're talking about you know those teams that just kind of shot the lights out and then faded in the tournament. It was kind of these teams are so one dimensional if they don't shoot well. You know, does that is that a commentary on Greg McDermott? Um, I think in the last three years we've put any hesitations about Greg McDermott and his quality of coach to bed. Because he's now, I mean, like last year's team was the best Kim Palm team he's had, or I think, I think, I feel like I've said that before. And, and they couldn't score. And they couldn't score. Um, <laughs> and didn't have their point guard for it most was, of the season. Right. And it was the opposite of the team that was the best team. Had become synonymous yeah, yeah. with Creighton in the mm-hmm. Greg McDermott era. Um, and they were just as good, if not better. Um, and certainly. That one team won the big. Well, okay, the sorry. That team was. But relative to expectations, yes. this team was better relative to expectations oh, sure. than those other teams ever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then you start to add a little bit of talent. You become even more well-rounded. I'm Greg McDermott is on my short list of the best coaches in the country at this point. And um, him getting more talent is, is an exciting thing. Who's your final one? Tyrese Hunter. Hmm. I think I've come. The conclusion I've come to is that Texas was missing a playmaker last year, and I don't. This is two parter. I don't think there was anybody who was all that interested in making his teammates better, even if that's kind of what you were hoping Marcus Carr was. I think what we learned last year is that that's what that's not what we want Marcus Carr to be, and, and that's some, not the best version of him. And there's some Russell Westbrook going on there in the sense of when he's at Minnesota and everything runs through him, of course he's going to have some right. assists. What happens when it's more choices and he's not the focal point of right. everything? So, yeah. right, there's still some 
sharing the love that's going to have to happen just because of how much talent is still on that Texas roster, even with the transfers that were on their way out. I don't know if Courtney Ramey at Arizona was a blip on your radar during your thought about it prep whatsoever. Not that it really got anywhere close to coming on this list, but that's a oh yeah, Courtney Ramey at Arizona. I mean, that's a program with lots of momentum. That's a college basketball. Anyway. Um, Tyrese Hunter being kind of the playmaker, and 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 the other important part of this is that like what is so what does Courtney Ramey do? Courtney Ramey scores mm-hmm. along with Marcus Carr. Tyrese Hunter, the biggest question mark in his game, is scoring yep. from a from a creating his own shot, three point shooting perspective the things that are not up for debate is how good of a playmaker he is and how good of a passer he is and defender and defender so all of those things take pressure off of marcus carr to do those three things so that marcus carr can just go score Mm -hmm. an eight point drop that's how many points per game fewer marcus carr had last year there's more to that than just there are more players to take shots at texas now, 18 to 15, yeah, we're having a conversation of there's just fewer shots for him because there's more players that are talented enough to take shots and it not be like, why didn't Marcus Carr take that shot? Um, I think if Tyrese Hunter translates, which there's no reason to suggest it won't, um, Texas becomes better just because Tyrese Hunter is there. And I think then we add Tyrese Hunter. I mean, sorry, Texas is better to an even further extent because Marcus Carr gets to play a more natural version of himself um, in that backcourt. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that backcourt works. Um, And if Texas, I think Texas can have a season much more, um, much more like the one they were supposed to have last season um, if it works uh, the way that I think it could. But it starts with Tyrese Hunter being the playmaker, being the main defender, being the guy who makes his teammates better so that Marcus Carr can just score the basketball. I'm just not quite sold on their ceiling enough for me to put him in this category because they were good last season already. Where, And I think Creighton is easily a top 10 team in the country, if not top 5. And North Carolina is easily a top three team in the country. Mm-hmm. And Butler was just so bad. And my expectations are much higher. That I also gave him thought in this category. I'm just not sold yet. He's going to make enough. He's going to make quite the same impact as these three guys. But the logic you laid out is very sound. There's a reason they went after him. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely a better fit from a roster standpoint of what you're asking all of these players to do now. And you know how much I love him. Yes. I, I figured you wouldn't have a massive issue with it, even if he wasn't on your list. Okay. Wrapping up the pod here with the last section. Um, question marks. Who would you, where would you like to go first? Well, let's just start with Andre Corbello. Let's do it. Per podcast policy, he just has to be on this list. Mm-hmm. I just have two questions. I have sort of just very simple points for all of these guys. What version is St. John's getting? Mm -hmm. The one from two years ago or the one from last season? And does he actually make the team better? Mm. (laughs) Because it seemed like the answer was definitively yes. And then last season happened. And it became very clear, at least in that situation, with what was happening with Andre Carbello and that Illinois team, the answer was no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He makes them worse. 
The numbers bear it out. The eye test bears it out. They were just a better team when he was not involved, not on the court last season. I haven't given up on him. Mm. But I can't look at last season and just dismiss that and say, watch out, St. John's got Andre Curbelo. All of a sudden, this is going to be brilliant. He's what everybody hoped he was going to be when he showed so much potential his freshman season in Illinois. Last season scared me. The way I'll the way I'll put it is I don't understand how anybody looks at what happened last season and then puts St. John's in a top seven of like transfer portal winners. I think that has more to do with David Jones. Sure, but like if we're having the conversation about Andre Cabello makes your team worse, then in theory there's some canceling out of what David Jones does. There's an argument he is... Sure. There's an but, argument he's not going to be the player he was last season, though. That's where the and I'm, and I'm comes from. Way not, that is way not my philosophy that we're going to assume that a guy is completely different based on where... I'm with you. It, there were extraneous factors in terms of his health and things like that, sure. which is where I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But by and large, I'm with you. I'm not convinced... That he's going to be what everybody thought he would be after that first season in Illinois. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't, I can find different ways to say it, but that's that's essentially <laughs> just what a we're big question at. mark. Yes, <laughs> and, and I certainly right. There are way too many people. Like if if nothing else, there are way too many people who talk about him going to St. John's in the context of it only being a good thing. Now, it it couldn't end up being a good thing. But I don't know how anybody looks at what happened. I mean, like, even two years ago, too. It's not like his turnover issues no. were non-existent as a freshman, yes. too. It just wasn't nearly as obvious yeah. as a freshman because he was also doing a lot of really good things. And it was also just a, he'll work that out in time. Right. If this is the starting point, imagine what he's going to get to. And then it got worse. Right. So, and I will just, and there's another guy on my list that I'm going to make a similar point. I'm just always curious what more responsibility does to a player. Maybe it means that he's just always in a flow because he's never not part of the offense, mm-hmm. so he makes fewer mistakes. Maybe he has the maybe his usage rate is even higher and he makes more. Um, that's just always for the you know in the spirit of the of the section of the podcast. That's a question mark, um, and in general, just his performance on the floor is a walking question mark um so that's uh yeah i'm right there with you um i'm gonna i'm gonna make an elite an elite transition are you ready for this one player leaves illinois another player joins illinois that guy's name's matthew meyer he's, he's on also my on my list is he really interesting yeah. why is he on your list sort of the not the same reason as andre curbello but Right? It was that would be a of, bold thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's not what I'm trying to get at. But this idea of imagine what he can become. Look at what he's already doing. And then you look up, and he never really took that next step. And his first year as a starter wasn't great. His efficiency went down the toilet. And Did you write down how many, his three-point field goal percentage last year? I did not. 32. Yeah, it, across the board, just the efficient. And it's not like his usage rate went through the roof. No, but he it was a but he his had responsibility. A, was right, much he different. had a bigger role, mm-hmm. and it was 
Sometimes, he, every once in a while, he gave you 20, and then he gave you, you know, 6, 12, 8, 4, and 7, yeah. and then 10. It was just inconsistent, and he wasn't what he was on that national championship team, which was he just got quality shot after quality shot and just kept converting, which, of course, that had a lot to do with the talent that was surrounding him. But that's exactly the point I'm about to make. The other thing I'll throw out there before you get to that, then, is... Aside from that part of it, there are also Dane Danger and Coleman Hawkins on this team. Mm. I'm not convinced he is going to walk in and be the primary front court option. Now, the idea would be you play two of those guys together, I would think. Mm-hmm. But Dane Danger was also a highly touted recruit who has been incredibly impressive building his body and everything he's done since he's gone to Illinois. Mm. I'm incredibly excited to see what he can do when he gets on the court. And I have some questions about Coleman Hawkins, but also you saw what kind of impact Coleman Hawkins can make last season. Right. I'm just not sold that this is a a perfect fit in terms of he's going to be exactly what everybody thinks he is because I'm not 100% convinced he's not going to get... Of course, he's going to play a lot, but not get a little bit buried in the depth chart because of the two guys that he's competing for minutes with. Right. That's all I have. When, when if I gave you Matthew Myers' basketball reference page, only the section that gives you his averages per year, that first sort of chart that you see, and then I asked you to tell me how highly sought after of a transfer he is, you'd never tell me he was one of the five most sought after transfers last year. I mean, right? Is, is that fair? Top five? Top ten? Yeah, definitely ten. Maybe not quite top, quite top five. Yeah, probably maybe depending on choice, he gets in at five. But you're talking about Murray, Pack, Hunter. I would say more in the ten range. That's probably fair. My point being yeah. is that I think we're still riding some of the momentum of Matthew Meyer, the bench spark three point shooter, never didn't capitalize on a great opportunity that he got on one of the best college basketball teams ever. And that's not his fault. I'm just not sold that Matthew Meyer anywhere else is, is quite what you're wanting him to be. Especially on a team that's going to be really good. Right. You need him. This isn't just him going to a team where he's the guy. I see this as the expectation being he's going to come in and be a key part of a top 15-ish team. Right. Which is something he was not able to do last season with Baylor. Now, they were more than a top 15 team until they all got hurt. Mm -hmm. But you get the point. Right. And it's not that I don't like Matthew Meyer. I just think the best version of Matthew Meyer is the version that we saw on that that Baylor team that won a national championship. Which might be what he ends up doing. Perhaps, but you don't go out and get a transfer like right. that to be that guy. That's the question mark part of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and just from a like now, Matthew Meyer instead of being sixth on the on the list of guys you have to watch out for on the scouting report, he's second, third, in theory. That just brings more responsibility. And last year, at least to start, he was certainly higher on the scouting report list than he was two years ago. And his production went down 
pretty much across the board except from a you know just sheer points per game perspective i like matthew meyer this isn't about me not liking matthew meyer this is about me not being sure just me having question marks about what illinois wants him to be what he actually is as a primary option and whether or not that's the best version of Matthew Meyer, because what we saw the last two years would suggest that it's not. <laughs> and I suppose at the end of the day, that is my question mark when it comes to, to Meyer. When you look at the other, this will be the last point I make to support that. When you look at the other top transfers that were available this transfer window, right? You're talking about Brandon Murray, who was, a, I believe, a double digit score at LSU. Yes, 10 points a game. Yeah, okay. So yeah. not up there, but that was also him as a freshman. Yes. Right? And you're talking about Nigel Pack, who clearly proved himself. You're talking about Tyrese Hunter, who, despite not being all that offensively gifted, erupted in the NCAA tournament and gave you 9, 10 points a game somewhere in there. Yeah. Right? Again, as a freshman. You're talking about those kind of guys who have produced at a higher, simply produced at a higher level. Mm-hmm at a younger age and now it's right Matthew Myers this missing piece for Illinois I'm I'm right there with you so we'll see um I'm, I'm not out on Matthew Meyer it's just like you said like it's like you said a question mark okay we've each got let me try that again okay that's the word um one more uh one more question mark for each of us who who rounds out your list Amani Bates. Ooh, that's a good one. He's eligible for the next NBA draft. To me, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no more time to mess around and experiment with things. He made his choice that he's going to spend his second season at Eastern Michigan. How many points? Did, okay. Part one of my question is, if the NBA draft is tomorrow, does Amani Bates get drafted? Yes. How many points? Do, okay. Part, part two of that question is where? Early second round. How many points per game? What what kind of season does Amani Bates have to have for him to be a lottery pick next year? I feel like he has to be, you know, a first team all Mac kind of guy. That he has to. Is that enough though? Because like you can average fifteen and seven and be all Mac. Yeah, but at that point, then you saw him do it on the college level, and somebody's willing to take a chance. In the lottery. Maybe not quite the lottery. Are we talking like all, like Mac Player of the Year? I would say if he's the... All-American to be a lottery pick? I would say if he's the Mac Player of the Year, we're looking at somewhere between the back part of the lottery and 20. I would probably agree with that. Likelihood that that happens. On a scale of what to what? If I gave you 50 bucks to bet on it, which one are you betting? Oh, I'm betting that it doesn't happen. If I gave you 50 bucks to bet that he would be a first-team All-Mac, not just a Mac Player of the Year, are you betting on him to do it or to not? To be the Player of the Year? No, if I, so if I gave you 50 bucks to bet on him being the, a first-team all, first oh. All-Mac player, so one of the five best players in the conference. See, now we're getting more interesting. I'll say yes. Okay. I think that's kind of the line, though. Like, in that... Yeah. Because it's interesting. 
Because the name that comes to my mind first when I think about this is Patrick Baldwin Jr. Because right. it just happened, and that didn't go well. Now there were some injuries, and that team was just not good. And and also, Pat Baldwin Jr. has something specific. He does very, very well. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the numbers showed you in college. Right. You can look at him. Why did the Warriors take him? Because he's an elite shooter. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, well, that makes all the sense in the world. More floor spacing. You might as well take a shot on the guy because if it works out, all of a sudden you got another Clay Thompson. Right. At least on the offensive end. That's the part of this that scares me with Amadi Bates is outside of being uber talented and athletic, I don't know what the thing is that translates to the NBA, which is where he has to be much which better. Which is wild because, like, even because just like three years ago, even like oh, yeah, two years yeah. ago. It was that's the closest thing to Kevin Durant we've seen since Kevin Durant. Right. Which is so that's wild to say, and it's exactly what everyone else is thinking. That's so wild. Yes. So it, wild. It's incredible. So maybe I'm. I would love to see it work. I just. He's in such a strange spot because. Yeah, I think he's probably a second rounder now because he's a Monty Bates and somebody's mm-hmm. going to take him. Mm-hmm. But to recover... Because you might as well take Amani Bates right. if he's still there at 43. Right. To recover his draft stock at Eastern Michigan is going to take a lot. And that is how he has chosen to do it. Because I find it hard to believe he's going to wait it out. And if this season goes fine but not perfect, he's going to stay another year. Yeah, probably not. I, Certainly not at Eastern Michigan. I am fully expecting he's going to declare for the draft basically no matter what. Because mm-hmm. he's got to feel pretty confident he's going to get drafted. So that's that's where this all comes from me is there is no margin for error anymore. You kind of got to do over with things not going great at Memphis. Mm-hmm. But now you are eligible for the draft, which means scouts are going to be watching you all season long because they're building their draft boards when they can select you now. That and Eastern Michigan was 316th at Ken Palm last year. So yeah, they, were just, they were just bad. And it's hard. And there's nothing that Amani Bates has done so far in college to suggest that he can turn a sub-300 Kempom team into a team that's decent enough? Because, like, that's the other part of it. It doesn't matter how good he is. If they go 4-16, and 5-15, and 15, is that a, they went 5-15 and 15 in conference last year. If they go 5-15 and 15 in conference again, doesn't matter how good he was. He's not going to be an all-Mac player. That's just not, like... Unless he's spectacular. Unless he, but if he's truly spectacular, they're not going to go 5-15, and 15, right? That's so, fu- okay, that's fair. Yeah. If, if he's not good enough to bump them into a much closer to 500 kind of conference season. He's not averaging 25. Again. Right, exactly. So, and and it's just going to be, but he might have to average 25 for mm-hmm. them to get to that point. They might right. just not. So all of these things kind of work in, in conjunction. But I like that one. Uh, very simply, that's, I mean, it's so, in, like, can you imagine telling somebody two years ago, like when he initially committed to Michigan State, because oh, yeah. I remember when he did it. Yep. It was that summer. It was the COVID summer. It was summer 2020. I remember um, being in Chicago when he did it. Um, and like two years, here we are two years later, two years and some change. And he's playing at Eastern Michigan because it went so poorly at Memphis. So we're having a conversation about whether or not he's a first yep. round pick or not. And my whole thing from the beginning was I don't even think he's going to play at Michigan State. Because by that time, he's going to find a way to get eligible for the NBA draft, and he's not going to play in right. college. Right. Never right. Never in a million years would I have said, yeah, he's going to run it back at Eastern. But here we are. Yeah. yeah. I might, I, the more I think about it, the more I might be tempted. 
We might need to, we need to make a do trip to, to Eastern to go, Michigan this year. Do we need to go to an Eastern game? We, we might, might need to. to. We might need to. Um, the, the last guy on my list is Malachi Smith. Mm. Malachi Smith is spectacular. Malachi Smith at UT Chat is a special college basketball player. And Malachi Smith at Gonzaga is also a special college basketball player. There are just a couple things here that are my question marks. One, give me your short list of the most productive transfers at Gonzaga in the last five years. Brandon Clark, Nemhard. And there's one more I'm thinking of. There's another guard. Nigel Williams-Goss. Nigel Williams-Goss. Um, and Rasheer Bolton gets an honorable mention in there. So we'll throw Rasheer Bolton in there because Rasheer Bolton... Brandon Clark doesn't help my point as much because Brandon Clark came from a mid-major. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nigel Williams-Goss, yep. Washington. Yep. I harped on this Rasheer Bolton, Iowa State, State. And Penn State. Yep. And Penn State. And Andrew Nemhard, Florida. Five-star recruit. Mm-hmm. It is one of my philosophies, right? We have my list of philosophies yep. at this point. We talked about them this summer. I don't not draft guys just because they're old. I don't draft players just because they're young and athletic. I also don't immediately jump to the conclusion that a productive mid-major transfer is going to be a highly productive high-major transfer. Yes, I know that Gonzaga plays in the WCC, but that's not a mid-major basketball team. No, for the pur- and for the purposes of what they're hoping to achieve, it right. doesn't. What they do against mid-major competition doesn't matter. Right. This is about them playing the North Carolinas of the world right. in a Final Four. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's part one. That's part one because, A, it almost never happens that a productive mid-major transfer is exactly as productive at a high-major level, especially in a situation like this because, guess what, buddy? You went from being the best player on your team to being, at the very least... The second, if not the third, if not the fourth. Because we can have a conversation about, about who it got. Of course it's Drew Temme. But then <laughs> it's a little bit of a... But yeah. then... But in, so, so that's part one. How does a guy who took 14 shots a game last year... Trivia time. How many players in the last four years have taken 14 shots a game at Gonzaga? Timmy must have done it once. Zero. Oh, my. Timmy has taken 12, and then I think it was 13. Okay. I think. Um, I, I, I could have that wrong. Um, hold on. We're, I'm, I'm looking right now. Um, Timmy took 12 last year, and it wasn't, and it was more balanced the year before because you had all of your guys. You had your, there were three guys taking 10 last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Drew Timmy took 11, Corey Kispert took 12, Jalen Sucks, Sucks took 10. 10. So just by nature of the way Gonzaga works. He's taking fewer shots. He's going to have the ball in his hands less. And shouts to Lucas Harkins, because he made this point, and I completely agree with it when I was chatting with him about this. It's not like Nolan Hickman had a year last year that we're co- we've completely written him off. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very high on what those two now sophomores can do. Absolutely. So it's not a foregone conclusion that Malachi Smith is the most important guard on Gonzaga's team next year. Mm -hmm. Not a foregone conclusion. I would say it's likely, but not a foregone conclusion. And and what is certainly not a foregone conclusion is that he's head and shoulders above those other two guys as the most important guard on that team. Even if he is, 
it's not like it's going to be him and then you're hoping Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas can piece together, you know, 14 minutes of productive basketball. That's not what's that's not how it's going to be. And that's just so that's all of these things in conjunction in conjunction are a question mark and if nothing else being the guy at UT chat and coming in and finding your spot on a team that is depending on who you talk to, either the second team, the best team in the, in the country heading into the season, or the best team in the country heading into the season. And you're a part of that, certainly. It is a different beast. It's a different animal. It's a different philosophy. It's a different approach. It's a different everything um, to go from UT Chat to Gonzaga. And I will qualify this with saying I like Malachi Smith. <laughs> Anybody who is seriously saying that they don't like the idea of Malachi Smith going to Gonzaga needs to stop trying so hard to be different. The point I'm making is that it is just, it never translates, it never translates perfectly from a production to a fit to a role when you go from mid-major to a high-major team or a team playing at the high-major level like Gonzaga. Um, So I am just curious. I've got questions of what it ends up looking like because it's going to change and there are guys already there that add into that equation not just the fact that Gonzaga is playing basketball at a different level than UT Chat does. The other question is how much does it actually matter to that point? Mm -hmm. Right. If he's the fifth most important player and the second best guard on the team or something is it the end of the world? Mm Because that could mean Nolan Hickman all of a sudden Right, that could be incredible. Right. Like, like if that is is the case, then it's probably being, then it's more likely it's a very good season for Gonzaga. Right. Rather and than we haven't talked about another. Julian Strother, who I would argue right. is almost a lot to be number two. Right. Yeah. No disrespect so, to Julian. Strother. Right. Right. It's it's a different role. He's got that wing position yes. locked down. The guards are a question. Yes. So there's that part of it too. Of right. It's not. It's not as much. Can he do it? But kind of what does it look like, and what does he actually have to do for this team to be at its best? Mm-hmm. If you want the the flip side of that, I would argue, when is the last time a transfer did not perform well at Gonzaga? I don't have a player in mind. No. <laughs> Which right. is an equally fair point. Right. And, but the, the counter to that in my head is, yes, Brandon Clark came from a mid-major. Brandon Clark also came from one of those mid-majors that really isn't a mid-wager, mm-hmm. right? In San Diego State. Mm-hmm. That is where it came from, right? I think it was San Jose State, though. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was San Jose State. I take that back. But that was my whole thing with Nigel Williams-Goss. Yeah, it was San Jose State. Okay, so Brandon Clark is the exception here. Man, I will say, though, Brandon Clark was just as good in his in his one year at Gonzaga as he was. Yes. Brandon Clark, we're not going to talk about you. This doesn't, you're not helping my case here. (laughs) Guard position. Yes. Man, Brandon Clark went from 17 and 9 17, 9, and two and a half blocks to at Gonzaga after his transfer year, 17, 9, and three blocks. So, you know what, Brandon? I love you. Go, go, Grizz. But he also got a transfer year. So we'll you did get, yeah, that. you got a transfer year. <laughs> but outside, outside of him, the, the Nigel Williams Goss part of this was big for me because I remember I kept screaming that from the mountaintops as to why I, because that was the year I picked Gonzaga to go to the Final Four right after Thanksgiving. Mm hmm. And the biggest reason was Nigel Williams-Goss has played 
in fewer minutes and and field yeah, goals per game. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But then, right, Nigel Williams Goss wasn't coming from the mid major level. Seventy percent from the free throw. Okay, I have to I have to close the tab. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Please continue. Then when you bring in the Andrew Nemhards and Nigel Williams Gosses of the world. Mm-hmm. It's just a different conversation because they're already used to the level of competition you're going to end up playing. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't play it every single game when they're with you, that's ultimately what you need. You know, you need the guys comfortable going and playing in North Carolina National Championship game. Mm -hmm. And they fit that bill, and Brandon Clark just defies all logic. So that is the other, the hesitation and why it's it's a very fair question mark. I've got a lot of questions of just, it's more complex to me than does this work? Right. Because it's what does work mean? What do they actually need him to do? What kind of player is he? Does he just perfectly complement everything else and they don't need him to be, you know, an all WCC player? Because they already have two of them. You know, there's there's all of that to it as well. So, yes, yeah, certainly. And then the biggest question of all is collectively, is this team good enough to win a national championship? So somebody's got to be really good from the guard spot to do that. Mm-hmm. Is it one of these two sophomores, particularly Nolan Hickman, or is it, or can Malachi Smith become that player? Yeah. yeah. Very valid. Thank you. That's all I got. I'm out of players. That's all my players as well. We could do this another... We could do like a part <laughs> two of this. There are so many transfers. It's absolutely it's crazy. Um But... A good podcast. Anything absolutely. else? Game three tonight. Sabrina Nescu. <laughs> Dude, the the sky were like, listen, we're we're done with this. They went from yeah, 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 you got us at home to like historically bad loss for the for the Liberty, but the fighting Sabrina Ionescu's, they're gonna bring it at home for game three. Very bizarre setup for the WNBA playoffs in terms of home court advantage. But we've got these teams now. They split the first two. Now they get to play at home. Yeah, it was funny because the um. The ESPN bottom line after game one, they they had a quote from James Wade, this guy's quote, and he said, we'll be fine, yeah. which usually is one of those, you know, scenes that precede unfortunate, a ser- unfortunate series of yeah. events, except for no, they really were fine. They were, they really were fine. Clearly I, they, they were not, they were not worried and they, yeah, they showed out like they weren't I'm all that worried. Very excited though. This yeah. is as good as a point guard play as you're going to find yeah. on the planet these two teams it's a blast let's just hope it's competitive yeah please i i there was a point where i went to go watch some of it and i was like okay the game's over yeah i don't i don't need to go watch that um but uh but other than that other than our WNBA discussion um i don't think we have a ton else um next week what's on what's on the list next week departures departures right so we're gonna kind of flip it around more about departures less about transfers and we'll talk about it it'll be great please subscribe to the jays for days podcast and app podcast spotify and google podcasts follow us on twitter at jays for days pod check out the youtube channel follow us on twitter all of those fun things um and there might be there might be some rumors of us entering another social media space here in the next few weeks just gonna just gonna sprinkle in a little sprinkle in some hints there um, but we'll uh, we'll talk more about that uh, as we get closer to to that actually happening. But uh, we'll be back next week. We're getting very very close to really starting to preview the college basketball season. Um, 
less than a month away from from our previews actually starting um very very excited about that but as for now we will see you next week thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later